Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are halfway through the football season, and basketball is back into full swing. And BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus today. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is our NFL Monday podcast for week nine. We've got a great show planned for you today because it was a little bit of a chaos weekend. And memes of the weekend will be the best of the best chaos laughs, but Coming up here, we're going to talk about the New York Giants getting their third win of the season. We're going to talk about the New England Patriots curb stomping the Carolina Panthers. We're going to talk about Baltimore and Minnesota. We're going to talk about the Chargers. We're going to talk about eight NFL games that went on here today and save four of them for the final one. I know I said today because we're recording this Sunday night to drop on Monday morning. So, We will get to all 12 of the games here on our NFL Monday, just as we normally do. Some here, some on Memes of the Weekend. And we are going to kick it off with the game of the weekend coming in with all the hype and all the storylines that we talked about all last week, even if the game was a total dud. And this is probably the least amount Kansas City is going to have to do to get their song played here on the podcast. Their their Migos Mahomes victory sound, because... Boy, did they not deserve it. They did not deserve to have this song played, but a win's a win. I'm tempted to just play the last dance one for the Packers because all of this felt last dancey this week for the Packers, but a win's a win. So Kansas City, you will be ripely rewarded with your victory music. So yeah, we'll talk about the Chiefs offense in a bit, just totally constipated. Maybe that's the best way to describe it, just totally constipated, probably didn't deserve to win the game, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Let's start off with the Packers, though, because the Packers were the story of the week. The Packers were the story coming into the weekend. It was one of those games where somehow... It was coming in, it was supposed to be one of these games that's like must watch. And I say every year, there's usually like four or five games where you must watch these games. 
They are so good that you focus them on the first screen because it's so interesting and you have two of the best teams that you think will either meet in the deep in the playoffs or meet in the championship. It's usually when teams who are the final four end up matching up. And so to give context for this, what I mean by the final four is if you go back historically through NFL history, once you get to the final four to five teams, it's pretty much a coin toss. All those teams are generally pretty equal to each other. Uh, someone ran a regression analysis on this. Uh, I forgot whether it was pro football focus. It was one of the writers ran a regression that says basically every year across 40 years, you have about five to six elite teams or really, really good teams. You have another 10 or so average teams or I'm sorry, above average teams. Then you have another eight to 10 below average teams. And then you have uh, about six tanking teams every year. And that's kind of an averaging out. It's not always that, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. And so once you get to the final five teams or four teams, they're pretty equal and you just get to enjoy really, really good football. And the Packers and Chiefs are, you know, disputedly this year, but coming into the year undisputedly, two of those top five teams. I mean, they probably could have, should have, would have played in the Super Bowl last year. It's the reason why they're playing this year. Top two seeds, top seed in the NFC, top seed in the AFC. They wouldn't have played on a normal year. This is just the cross-conference thing. And it became really, really interesting before you take in that Aaron Rodgers is not going to play, which makes the Packers not as good as the team that it would be before, unless Jordan Love was really good, which we technically didn't know coming in, but we felt pretty good Jordan Love wasn't going to be that. And somehow it got even more interesting for me because I just really, really wanted to see how Jordan Love would respond and how the Kansas City Chiefs would respond. And by the way, Kansas City's defense Great, great game plan running against the Packers. Like, expose them as a subpar offense when you take away Aaron Rodgers. Great game plan with, uh, well, really minimal player. Like, obviously the Chiefs defense is not really that talented. It looked like the Chiefs defense I remember from the past where they were like borderline a top 10 defense. I, I got reminders of that today because they weren't playing a really good offense, which they played in most of their first few games in the season where they played the Browns week one, they played the Ravens, then the Chargers, then they played Buffalo, they played uh, the Eagles and Giants and Washington mixed in there, but they played like four games against really good offenses and their defense just got exposed week after, or Titans, forgot about that one, they got totally exposed on defense by the Titans, and so when they don't play good offenses, that defense starts to look like what we remind them of, what I'm reminded of them, which is just not an all-time terrible offense, which feels good if you're a Chiefs fan going into the playoffs. It's like, congratulations, your defense is not all-time bad. And they, they aren't. Like, I know they were ranked 32 earlier in the year. They're only a very bad defense instead of being an all-time bad defense because they still beat up bad teams. And that's not always a guarantee when you're talking about bad defenses in the NFL. You're not always guaranteed to hold bad offenses to seven points or hold bad offenses to 17 or 13 like they did against Heineke I think 17 was the Giants last week I think it was 20 to 17 so they hold bad offenses to low amounts of points and that's a sign that your defense isn't putridly bad which I think we were kind of like outlining the Chiefs as to start the year but all of that to say the Kansas City Chiefs had an excellent defensive game plan against Jordan Love 
Packers did not execute well. And in terms of like the game result, like the Packers lost, if we're going all the way back. So in the beginning of the game, they ran the zone running scheme offense that Matt LaFleur has always wanted to do. And I joked like Matt LaFleur finally got his game manager quarterback to make things go smoothly in Green Bay. He got his 38-year-old John Elway, which is basically just a game manager, so that he could execute zone-running offense, not just with Aaron Jones, but also with A.J. Dillon, who people know the name A.J. Dillon, but kind of forget that after picking Jordan Love at 26, Dillon was the second pick right after that, considering that you could argue Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers were two of the like four most solid positions for the Packers. They went and invested in a running back in the second round and a quarterback in the first round, and today was their first chance to put those two together, and they took advantage of it because Aaron Jones got the ball a lot, but that was a true committee that they ran today with A.J. Dillon having four catches out of the backfield and finishing with something like a 70, 80 yards all-purpose. They wanted to make that a bit of a committee, and so Green Bay finishes the first drive of the game, zone running scheme, missed field goal by Crosby. Then they had the blocked field goal by Crosby. Then you have the dropped interception by Kevin King that is Mahomes getting lucky like Mahomes had been in pass, like Mahomes is lucky in not getting the pass intercepted. Should have been an interception on out route, threw it behind Meikle Hardman, didn't get good separation. Kevin King dropped it. Chiefs score field goal right before half there. And then you had uh, the muffed punt by the Packers that like kicked off his foot that led to three points for Kansas City. So right there you swing 12 points in favor of Kansas City just on special teams and dropped interceptions. That's a 12-point swing right there. You only lost the game by six. There was only 20 total points in the game because the 12-point swing involved you not scoring six points and the Chiefs scoring an extra six points. So in a game that had so few points, right there you can find the difference. It's like the first game it gave it reminded me of the first game of the season between Dallas and Tampa where the Buccaneers won on the last second Tom Brady drive but also you think back and Greg Zerline missed two extra points and two field goals so right there there's eight points the Cowboys could have should have would have had to win the game it reminded me a lot of that where the Packers didn't play great but they played well enough to win given how shit the Kansas City Chiefs offense was and you have the one magical play at the end for Kansas City. But I'll save the Kansas City talk. Let's stick with the Jordan Love talk. So those points get left on the field immediately right there. Uh, the Packers, through three quarters of the game, were 0 for 8 on three-point conversions. They were 1 for 10. And by the time they got to the fourth quarter, Spagnolo dialed up a blitz on basically every single third and fourth down for the Green Bay Packers. Most of the times... It worked, and Jordan Love was forced to a quick throw because Sorensen was unblocked all the way through, or Chris Jones got to the quarterback. Like, he was forced to make off-balance throws, and they'd go out of bounds, or they'd overthrow Devontae Adams, uh, or whatever else it might be. They just dialed up six- and seven-man blitzes because the Packers have a bad offense. And this is one of the things that's, like, simplest. I, I don't know a lot about X's and O's schematics of football, but I understand this much is... The reason you can't blitz against Tom Brady is because you're leaving single coverage on the receivers. And Tom Brady's release is so quick and so precise. And so is Aaron Rodgers and so is Mac Jones, some could argue. Mac Jones takes a little longer to throw. 
I think he's like averaging 3.1 seconds per pass and Tom Brady averages like 2.4 or 2.5 or something like that. So a little less so there, but a lot of Russell Wilson's another good example, even though Russell Wilson has the beautiful lofty passes, they're really good at short, accurate completions. This is how Drew Brees made his entire career, short, accurate passes where you're not holding the ball for very long. And you can't blitz in those situations because receivers are only going to be able to be contained for so long if you don't have a zone defense or you're bringing weak side help or strong side help with the safety. And so in that way, the Packers, when you don't have a strong offense and you don't have an offense where you're scared of the quarterback to complete 75% of his passes or 80% of his passes, if you don't have that offense then you can dial up blitzes because the instinct of the quarterback is going to be either to throw it away if you can get pressure fast enough or try and force something into a a non-open position, which is going to lead to potentially interceptions, short gains, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't dial up blitzes against really good quarterbacks because really good quarterbacks can get the ball out really quickly. Or in the case of Kyler Murray or Patrick Mahomes or uh, even Josh Allen, buy time in the pocket so that even when you blitz it doesn't matter now will they take more sacks absolutely but also they'll buy enough time where now you've left Tyree Kill in single coverage you've left Travis Kelsey in single coverage all these things become problems and it's why the Chiefs fell apart in the Super Bowl is because they couldn't rush are they they teams could rush them with four specifically the Bucks could rush them with four because of the poor offensive line and Mahomes could run around run around and you could drop two safeties back, which has kind of been the strategy this year against the Chiefs, which is everyone's just going to play two high safeties, which is you're going to drop both safeties back into coverage for a cover two or even a cover three, and everyone else might play a man, everyone else might play a zone, but no matter what, you're automatically dropping two safeties back, so if Tyree Kill goes deep, you automatically have help. If Mikkel Hardman goes deep, automatically have help. And that happened again in this game where Kansas City's offense, uh, on the first drive of the game, the Kansas City Chiefs went run, 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 short pass, run, short pass, short pass, run, run, run. And I believe it it ended with the Kelsey touchdown, but it was like 12 plays and not a single, or I think one play was longer than 10 yards on the entire drive. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, there's a couple stats here. So on that drive that led to the Kelsey touchdown, Mahomes had five completions for 25 yards. By the time you got to the third quarter, Patrick, or sorry, by the time you got to the second quarter, Patrick Mahomes was 10 for 13 for 40 yards. And the Packers held the Kansas City Chiefs to 160 passing yards total on the game. And the two times Patrick Mahomes tried to take a deep shot, one was to Mecole Hardman, totally incomplete. Second one, deep ball that looked like it was a throwaway. It was it was to Tyreek Hill, but it basically looked like it was a throwaway because Mahomes had it like 10 yards deeper than Tyreek Hill could have gotten to it. And so they tried to, to take advantage of the fact that for the past three years, the Green Bay Packers just cannot run the football. Just cannot run the football. To, or I'm sorry, Packers cannot stop the run. To save their lives. Correct myself there. The Packers run defense has been horrible 
for this entire run of success for the Green Bay Packers. They were struggling with Blake Martinez in 2019. Then they lost Blake Martinez in free agency at middle linebacker, plugged it with Christian Kirksey, and um, the hoping Preston Smith could get better pressure. Preston Smith totally fell off, and Rashawn Gary, the former first-round pick, has kind of slid into that role. Uh, I think he's going to be really good in a couple of years. Not that he's already a very impactful player, but I think he's going to be like legitimately good in the next year or so for the Packers and Zadarius Smith, who's battled injuries this year, they, they've really struggled up the middle and they've, you know, it's been Kenny Clark and substituting other people. in. there was one guy who got hurt today who I'd never heard of before who was starting at nose tackle for the Packers and green Bay has really been bad at stopping the run. And so the chiefs basically said, well, you're going to drop two high safeties back and you're going to try and cover us by rushing four. So we're just going to run the football a bunch. Because there's only going to be one person covering McKinnon or covering Williams or covering, I think, Gore was the other running back. Never heard of Gore, but Gore was one of the running backs for the Chiefs. And they just said, we're just going to run and run. And then we're going to use the pass like the run. And we're going to dominate time of possession. And that's how the Chiefs have decided that they're going to win games now is by not using Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey because teams have basically taken away the deep ball and they can't generate enough offense to save themselves when Mahomes commits those turnovers, which has kind of been a weird problem this year. Is like the defense is put in a bad position by turnovers as any defense is in the NFL because turnovers we've realized now are really more costly than we could have imagined or at least previously imagined. And so... Kansas City has come to a place where we're like, okay, we have to neuter our offense in order to prevent the turnovers because the turnovers, at least running the ball, we're going to get four plays because we're aggressive enough to go for it. And every now and then Mahomes is going to be able to take a deep shot down the field. And it just hasn't been there this year because everyone has realized you can just drop two high safeties back on the Kansas City Chiefs and that's going to be end all be all for them but the Chiefs ended up by the time we got to the fourth quarter Mahomes started 14 for 28 for 85 yards the jump TD to Travis Kelsey and that ends up being I mean they they go the rest of the game they end up having 70 yards and a real drive to close out the game that felt Chiefs-esque but you have Mecole Hardman dropping the same pass play that Chad Henney ran in the divisional playoff to clinch the game against the Browns. You have just a straight drop by Meikle Hardman in there. You have Mahomes throwing behind Meikle Hardman on a drag route because the Packers have a really good secondary but can't stop the run, kind of like a, a reverso Tampa Bay Buccaneers situation where everyone uses the pass like the run against Tampa. Well, against the Packers, you use the run like the pass where you get like big chunk plays or screen passes to Jerick McKinnon. I think Jerick McKinnon was the leading receiver today for the Kansas City Chiefs because they just said, we're going to use running backs and running game like the pass, and we're going to be able to block up front, and that's how we're going to get there. And it just looked so bad because even that the Chiefs couldn't execute. And that's the thing that we've never seen from Kansas City. We've never been able to see them not be able to execute in those situations. And so it was so weird. 
that the storyline coming into the day was Jordan Love. And as we're seeing here, I said we'd talk about Jordan Love more, but I really, really, really dove deep into the Kansas City Chiefs offense in a way that's hard to break down because I just watched a lot of the game, was listening to broadcasts, was trying to figure out why is it that everyone's talking about why the Kansas City Chiefs offense is in trouble? And I see it. It's because we had always assumed when we're talking about Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill that you have to pick your poison on one of them. That if you take away Hill, you're not going to be able to stop Kelsey. Or if you take away Kelsey and commit to the front, well, you're going to get burned deep by Tyreek Hill like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did in the regular season last year when Tyreek Hill had like 200 yards in the first quarter. It's like, well, if you try and take away Kelsey, they're going to beat you deep with uh, Tyreek Hill. And I don't know how healthy Kelsey is in the first place. Um, the other thing that's interesting is I don't know what Mahomes' injury was with the turf toe and the ankle and all that, but that dude is not looking as mobile as he used to. Like, I don't look at Mahomes and think of him as a running threat like I used to, where I'm like, in my mind, subconsciously, I'm like, why don't you run in this situation? Why don't you scramble in this situation? And Mahomes just doesn't have it. And I'm like, you're throwing the ball and that's fine, but these throws are wildly inaccurate. Some of them behind Mecole Hardman. And some of them are super accurate, by the way. Like when Travis Kelsey finds space, you can still see all of the things that made you realize how good the Chiefs offense was in the past. It just doesn't come in spurts like it used to. Like you, you see one Kelsey play every two drives. You see one Tyreek Hill play every two games or something where there's a a ball like the last play of the game where Mahomes is rolling, 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 third and fu- third and ten, falling away, throwing, and Tyreek Hill's cutting back to the ball, and you can only guard him for so long because he's just that fast and he's always that two steps ahead of the next person. And you saw it, like you saw, oh, there's the Chiefs offense we remember. Oh, there's Kelsey with the 27 yard completion that set up the field goal. You see it every now and then. It's just not there super consistently where it's like a barrage and every single play you're afraid of that happening with Kansas City. It's just not there anymore. And I don't know exactly where everyone's at in the Kansas City offense, but it, it seems obvious enough that everyone's saying, well, we don't have to say, well, it's either Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. It's like, well, what if we say it's going to be Tyreek Hill every single time and then Mahomes can't make the plays like Mahomes used to? What if Mahomes can't throw the ball into coverage against Sammy Watkins, or in this case, Mikel Hardman, or I don't even know. I think there's a Wilson there now. But what if he can't make those throws like he used to? What if he can't hit Kelsey within this tiny window? What if the no-look passes are going to be inaccurate instead of Mahomes only throwing five or six interceptions? What if Mahomes is not the same person because you've taken away the threat of Tyreek Hill, which now closes off the rest of the field for him because now you're making him work within a 25-yard box? If you've taken away the deep play altogether, what if it's a lot of screen passes to McKinnon? What if it's what if it's Michael Hardman fumbling and dropping? What if it's handing off to Williams and daring you to run the ball on us, which worked against uh, the Packers because the Packers can't stop the run? But the Packers will take that over the Kansas City Chiefs just blowing people up all across the board. And that was a really interesting way that went down for Kansas City. Now, on the Jordan Love side of things, I said I would get to that at the beginning because I thought that was the interesting thing coming in. Jordan Love is fine. 
that was my takeaway from that game and watching it really close. Jordan Love is a fine quarterback. He clearly belonged on the field. There was one play actually where he like scrambled for seven yards. I was like, oh, this guy is really athletic. Like, like the Daniel Jones and Lamar Jackson kind of athletic where it's like, oh, this you can call design runs for Jordan Love. He he can be one of these hybrid quarterback but also used like a running back if you put the system in place like Jordan Love is really athletic and I'd never watched him play before so that was my introduction to Jordan Love outside of like watching two plays of a replay in a preseason game and maybe one time at Utah State on a highlight reel I don't know I mean they're in the Mountain Best Conference but I didn't really watch a lot of Jordan Love at Utah State the point being Jordan Love, you can build a scheme around that. It's obviously a work in progress, but you can build something around that. But it's not going to be anything special, I don't think. Again, this is early enough where this is the first time we're seeing him and judging the one-game sample is obviously not the smartest. But that was not a great defense, and the Chiefs could totally scheme. Like I said off the top, the Chiefs defense started rushing 6-7, and seven, and Jordan Love was throwing the ball away a lot and trying to hit uh, Devontae Adams, and he would miss it, or the ball would get knocked away by Snead or Ward, or at the very end of the game, he threw the interception. Uh, but then the next one came back and hit Alan Lazard, who then burned Daniel Sorensen for the touchdown. So all that to say, there is something to build with with Jordan Love. And the fact that Jordan Love is a second-year quarterback, probably, what, 24 years old, I'm guessing? Jordan Love is 20... Yeah, Jordan Love is 23, going to be 24. Oh, just turned 23. Whoops, Jordan Love just turned 23 last week. And that makes me realize that Jordan Love is obviously a work in progress. We haven't seen the large enough sample size, but just right off the bat, and given where he was in the draft projects, where he was like a high second round pick, even in a quarterback, even at a position where you overvalue the position, Jordan Love feels like he's going to be a Jalen Hurts or a Mac Jones type. That the the skill set simply isn't there to be an elite quarterback with Jordan Love, which is no shame to Jordan Love because... Nobody had him as a, a high first-round pick, other than the people who were joking that like Washington was going to take him with the second pick over Chase Young. Like nobody saw Jordan Love as a top prospect, and if he had really wowed things away, I think we would have heard the whispers before then. Like, hey, this guy's really good in practice. This guy plays really, really well under duress, and we saw it today. And it feels like a Mac Jones or a Jalen Hurts, where it's like he's fine. He's a very fine quarterback. He made plays in certain situations and didn't make a lot of them, and that's totally fine for a Packers team that needs him right now as a backup quarterback. And we talked about a lot in regards to the last dance about how, you know, Jordan Love is a quarter, you know, you better be right. That's the thing I say all the time. You better be right. If you're going to push that dude out the door and pivot to the future, man, you better be right. And Jordan Love looks to be like a fine quarterback, one of these people that you probably don't want to extend. And if you do, it's probably a quarterback purgatory situation. And again, it's super early. But I think if we if the gifts were going to be there, I think it would have popped off the page watching it all the way through at least once. At least one thing you can point to and say, that's where 
the Packers are going to build something special. Maybe they change the scheme for him. Maybe they change uh, how they, you know, maybe it's not just the zone running offense anymore. Maybe you design runs for Jordan Love. Because again, the, the thing that I took away is like, oh, that dude's really, really athletic. Like you can, you can build running offensive plays where now he's not only your quarterback, he's also your part-time running back and you can pay at the same rate. Like those are all entirely possible, but for everyone to be wrong about Jordan Love in this case, because no one's really talked about him like, you know, if they do move on from Aaron, Jordan Love is there. Like we've seen Jordan Love be offered to the Patriots to move up to pick 15 in the draft last year, which was leaked in a, it was leaked I believe from the Packers front office, um, someone took a photo of it and it was accidentally out that they were like offering the Patriots at least that move for Jordan Love. Like if if it were there, I think it would have been like, oh, everyone was wrong about this. Everyone missed it. Like with Dak Prescott, we saw it in the preseason. It's why Dak Prescott won preseason Hall of Fame when we first started that award to kind of be like, I mean, does preseason really matter? And we've learned now it doesn't. But we saw it right away with Dak Prescott, that that guy was good, and he was the fourth-round pick. We saw it right away with Russell Wilson when he was a third-round pick that everyone just got it wrong. I don't think Jordan Love is that. But I had preconceived notions coming in, and I recognize that one game is not going to do or die Jordan Love's entire career. But... I talked about the Kansas City Chiefs defensive schematics, and that's a scheme that usually only works against bad offenses. And they had Aaron Jones. They had Devontae Adams. That was just a bad offense for the Packers today. And not even in the sense like they only scored seven points, and those seven points came towards the end when the game was basically over. Like They had three or four drives where they got down the field, but it felt more like watching the Dolphins run their offense or like Washington running their offense, then it felt like the Green Bay Packers running their offense. And that's a fine way to go about it. You can win games that way, especially built on a defense. The Patriots are doing it right now, overperforming with lesser talent. I just don't think that Jordan Love is going to be special, which is not really me going out on a limb and saying Jordan Love is not going to be a special quarterback. Like, I don't think anyone thought that coming in. I don't think anyone came in and said, oh my gosh, Jordan Love is going to be magical, but also none of us had ever seen him play. We were just taking other people's words for it. So fully acknowledge preconceived notions are at play here. Jordan Love finished with a, what, a 70 quarterback rating today, which is below average, of course, and it was his first start, but it's not like he was playing a great defense either. Like we found out he's not, he wasn't playing an all-time bad defense today, but at the same time, we also kind of know that Jordan Love is not quite the all-time type of guy that we were like totally prepared to see. So, yeah, not great. 69 quarterback rating today for uh, Jordan Love, by the way, just to officially. I said 70, but it was officially a 69 quarterback rating. By the way, league average 91. So, bad game for Jordan Love. And there was nothing remarkable that I saw coming out of it. It's things that I would like... Like Even the touchdown to Alan Lazard on a blitz, I'm like, yeah, most starting quarterbacks in the NFL can make that play, but at least he can make the play. We know that now. So maybe Jordan Love will have more time to develop here, but if I were the Packers, I wouldn't feel good about that situation. I wouldn't feel good about him being this transforming quarterback of the next five to six years or a decade-long starter for the Packers. Feels like he's going to be a fringe starter 
quarterback purgatory guy. And a lot of this is just a year and a half of having time to prepare and where he was drafted, which for all of our flaws in the drafting system and trying to project players 10, 15 years down the road, we do we are pretty good at knowing when guys have it. And no one said that about Jordan Love coming in. So the way that he was going to be great was going to be everyone else being wrong or him getting significantly better after he got to Green Bay. And I think the physical gifts are good enough. And we'll find out later just how good Jordan Love actually is. Well done, Cleveland Browns. I hedged my bet on you guys from the Slump Buster, and you guys delivered to drive me into a 1-4 week that breaks up our wonderful 2-3-3-2 streak for the season. Congratulations, Cleveland. You guys are a very good team, but we knew that before. You guys are better than the Cincinnati Bengals. We knew that all the way through, but everyone just kind of got a little... uh confused by that because uh, Cincinnati jumped off to a 5-2 and two start and I said they were better than I thought they would be but as we talked about last week temper your expectations Bengals fans if you had told if I had told you at the start of the year you'd be fighting for the seven seed I think that would have been a swimming success for you guys and that's what you're going to do at the end of the season you're going to battle for that seventh seed might get it might not but I think the season's going to be a victory regardless for the uh Cincinnati Bengals who are growing as a franchise and have that cornerstone to build off of but that cornerstone had nothing for today against the Cleveland Browns it was uh six catches for 49 yards on 13 targets for Jamar Chase Joe Burrow finished with 28 of 40 passing 282 yards no touchdowns two picks and just like our buddy Jordan Love a 69 quarterback rating. So uh, nice, but not nice. Not all 69 quarterback ratings are built the same. Sometimes Jordan Love and Joe Burrow have different ways to 69. And yes, I did that on purpose. All right, let's talk about Baltimore and Minnesota, shall we? Uh, Well done, Baltimore Ravens. I thought for sure we were headed towards Kirk Cousins purgatory this week. Um, I, I talked to couple weeks ago because the Ravens were on by this week about how Baltimore's offensive line would be the the thing you could poke a hole in for them similarly to how Buffalo's hole is the Josh Allen problem where Josh Allen sometimes goes berserk and falls apart which we will talk about that on memes of the weekend and Kansas City's is the offense which we just did a 20 minute breakdown on more complex then the previous breakdown and the Bengals and the Raiders and the Chargers all have flaws that can you can poke holes in about why they're not really a great team. And Baltimore, even though they win today against a Minnesota team that just simply put, the difference in that game is Lamar Jackson. Like no ifs, ands, or buts around it. Like the, the reason Baltimore wins is because they have that guy who is the second best quarterback in the NFL. And Patrick Mahomes ain't playing so great, so maybe the best quarterback in the NFL and the, the Minnesota Vikings do not. That's just a single-handedly 
Lamar Jackson wins them that game type of situation. And Lamar Jackson was really bad to start the game. And I kept pointing back to offensive line, offensive line. Like when Lamar Jackson sets his feet and is able to execute, we've seen 38 for 41 stretches. We've seen 20 for 21 stretches with four touchdowns and no picks. Like when Lamar Jackson sets his feet, he can get the ball out, not just accurately, but get the ball out in three, three and a half seconds the way Aaron Rodgers does, the way Tom Brady has done for years, Drew Brees did for years, Russell Wilson did for years. Like he can do that. But he never has time and his instincts are always to use his feet because why the hell wouldn't you use your feet if you're Lamar Jackson and you're more athletic than the elite of elite athletes? And so it was so interesting today as they were starting to come back in that game and as Hollywood Brown went from having three catches for 16 yards entering the fourth quarter and by the end of fourth quarter OT he had nine nine catches for 116 yards. So in Fourth quarter OT, he has six catches for 100 yards as Baltimore storms back. Like, as I'm watching this, you start to see as desperation kicks in, and they're also playing a bad defense. Like, mind you, the Vikings are no Harrison Smith, no Daniel Hunter. If you take those two away, the Vikings have nothing left on defense. And their corners actually played okay today, but a lot of it was Lamar Jackson, like, self-inflicting problems for himself. Like, he had, like, a 27 quarterback rating at the third quarter mark of the game and they were down what like let's see they were down at that point 24 to 10 after the kickoff return in the third quarter and Lamar Jackson had a 20 something passer rating so after that they outscore 24 to 7 the rest of the way including the win at the end and Lamar Jackson goes from having a 27 passer rating to an 88 passer rating at the end of the game, which is average, but this is kind of like what they can ask for at this point, because you want Lamar Jackson to use his legs for 21 carries for 120 yards. That dude is a cheat code because he is your quarterback and your running back, and you are paying them the same rate. It is the the it is the evolution that the Ravens have that no other team has. Some teams can do it, like I talked about it with Jordan Love. Like, you can build run plays around Jordan Love so that you have some of the same magic that the Ravens have captured, but no one's doing it the way the Ravens are doing it with Lamar Jackson, where he is fifth in the league in rushing yards. And also, when you give him enough time to sit in the pocket, can be one of the ten best passers in the NFL. But the problem with that is, as we talked about before, Ronnie Stanley is gone for the season. Bozeman has gone in and out. Uh, Zeitler had a good play today, but there's not that much there. Villanueva got roasted on the internet for the first month of the season because he couldn't block anyone, even on the Chiefs. And so I don't know whether Villanueva turns things around now. I haven't looked at numbers recently on him. But the offensive line is still a problem, and you see it with Baltimore because Lamar Jackson is forced to start scrambling. And teams always put a quarterback spy when they game plan around Lamar Jackson, because of course you should. You should be afraid when Lamar Jackson takes off that you should have someone dropping back into coverage, totally dedicated to what happens if Lamar Jackson takes off. Because similarly to the Chiefs, the Chiefs strategy to take away that, or team strategy to take away Mahomes' best gift is to drop two high safeties back into coverage. And the way for Baltimore or defense is playing Baltimore to take away Lamar, quarterback spy. 
Is it going to work all the time? No. Lamar's still going to have 21 carries for 120 yards sometimes. And the Ravens are going to finish with 250 rushing yards. But it's a way to contain to keep yourself in the game. Because Lamar Jackson, because if Lamar Jackson and the, the Ravens offense run for 250 yards, but Lamar also has a passer rating in the 30s and 40s, then it's a one-dimensional offense. And you can live with a one-dimensional offense going up against the Baltimore Ravens. Vikings thrived in it today and almost did enough to beat Baltimore by making them a one-dimensional offense. The problem was just at the end, Lamar Jackson ended up being able to throw the football. And I, I didn't watch enough towards the end because it was the you know booming part of the witching hour. So I don't exactly know whether the offensive line got a better push. I know uh, Mark Schlereth was the broadcaster on that game. Mark Schlereth's Man 101 was broadcasting. And he was talking about the push they got on the Le'Veon Bell carry that set up the game-winning field goal and how that was a great job by the Ravens' offensive line. He's obviously an O-lineman, so... He's talking about it that way and talking about Zeitler getting a push up front and creating a hole for Le'Veon Bell to set up the game-winning field goal in overtime. And yet, even still, I don't know what the reason was for why things turned around and Lamar Jackson all of a sudden became this amazing passer at the back end of the game. But it happened, and we see what the Ravens can do when that happens, which is they're the best team in all of football. Not just the AFC, not just the NFC. If Lamar Jackson has the time, and by the way, the weapons problem has been solved in Baltimore. Like, remember how last year the problem was like Lamar Jackson had some of the time, and then Ronnie Stanley got hurt again last year, and then he didn't have the time. But the problem was Hollywood Brown dropping passes and Mark Andrews not exactly being a best number one option. All those problems have been solved. Like, Duvernay, fantastic. Uh, Sammy Watkins is due for a few good games every now and then. He's been hurt recently, but Sammy Watkins is there. Hollywood Brown is a legitimate number one receiver, uh, which we all kind of thought he was, but now he's showing it to us. Bateman is in the lineup. He got eight targets today. They have solved that issue with the receiving core, and that is only, again, he doesn't have the offensive line again because Stanley's out for season, and they traded Orlando Brown, and Villanueva's only so much, and we talked about the injuries with guys like Bozeman and Zeitler has been a pretty good guy this year for them in, in terms of like a pickup plug and play. But all that to say, I don't know exactly why Lamar Jackson was great towards the back end of the game and whether or not like offensive line changed for him, but it was like a night and day switch. And when that switch flips and Lamar Jackson has the time to make passes from the pocket, the Baltimore Ravens are the best team in the NFL just because they have that guy. They have that guy in that offense that can kill you passing the ball 80% to 75% completion percentage and can rush 250 yards against you. And there's no way you're going to beat that. No chance when they're on that way. Your only hope is to make them one-dimensional. The best way to do that is to make them one-dimensional in the running game because they don't have an offensive line. Coming your
Ah, it's been three weeks. I wanted to play that song so bad. We'll get to the Dolphins one in a bit. It's been since week one, September 14th was the last time we got to play the Dolphins song. Oh, it's been two months I've been waiting to hear the wonderful sounds of T-Pain singing the Dolphins fight song. But it's been three weeks since we got to play the Chargers one, and I missed it so much because it brings back strong childhood memories. And uh, this time they won it on the last second field goal, which is something that's always concerning for the Chargers. But now they have Dustin Hopkins, who I was surprised last week when I found out he was a Charger. But Dustin Hopkins, the new kicker for the Chargers. Congratulations, Los Angeles. You guys are 5-3. and three. And just like the Cincinnati Bengals, temper your expectations because uh, making it to the playoffs would be a uh, big victory for y'all. By the way, let's give Justin Herbert the uh, the MVP nod for the week because MVPs are only allowed to be quarterbacks. I'm not saying he was the best player this week. He's just the MVP because MVPs are only allowed to be quarterbacks. 32 for 38, 356 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, 123.2 passer rating for Justin Herbert. And yet the Chargers somehow almost lost the game, which is an even greater testament to Jalen Hurts, who finished with a 113 passer rating while also adding 10 carries for 62 yards. Am I reading box scores on this one? Yes, I am. Why? Because I was kind of watching a lot of the Packers and Chiefs game, but the Chargers won, picked the Eagles plus two. I was one Chargers two-point conversion away from getting that cover, but it's a one in four week, unfortunately, in the pick 'em pool. Uh, I do want to talk about real quick here. Can we talk about 24 24, 38 or so yard line? Or no, I think it was the 29 yard line. So it would have been like a 46 yard field goal for Hopkins with uh, 110 left to go and no timeouts. The Chargers bloody went for it because Brandon Staley understands. Punting and kicking is for cowards. And Brandon Staley has that offense with that quarterback, and he was confident in their ability to execute a QB sneak. They did so against the depleted Eagles. They wanted to drain the clock all the way to the end, and that is exactly what the Chargers did. At least they got it to like five seconds on the clock. Um, But going for it when you're in long field goal range, on a fourth and one, in a tie game, ballsy. And I love it. It was probably the right move in that spot. I just didn't think he would go for it because they brought the offense out and tried to draw them offside by doing a hard count and letting the play clock run out. And I literally was texting someone. I was like, oh, I totally thought Staley was going to go for it. And then he brought the offense back out after calling the timeout. I'm like, oh, Lord, he is going to go for it because kicking is for cowards. And Brandon Staley, even in a tie game, is going to try and milk every second off the clock instead of potentially missing the field goal, because how could you not think about that if you root or coach the Chargers? You have to account for the fact that your kicker is not allowed to be good. Chargers have not had a good kicker since Nate Kading made that field goal to beat the Peyton Manning Colts in like 2007. Chargers have not had a good quarterback in, or a good kicker in 14 years even though Hopkins is pretty good. Like Hopkins spent, what, seven years with Washington? So Hopkins is a pretty good one. Or at least he used to be a pretty good one. I don't know why he got cut by Washington for Blewett, but even still, for those who don't know, Chris Blewett is the name of the Washington kicker. I'm sure you've seen that around the internet recently. But yeah, kicking is for cowards. 
subscribe to the principle. All right, let's talk about the uh, Panthers' uh, need to bench Sam Darnold because it's over. Uh, the Sam Darnold revenge tour is now long over. It's another crappy day for Sam Darnold and the uh, the offense for the Carolina Panthers. They finished with six points. Patriots weren't remarkable either. Uh, Mac Jones only threw the ball 18 times, and it wasn't good at all for Mac Jones today. Um, this is one of those moments where you probably weren't watching the game that closely, as was I. But the whole way through, I'm like, I feel like the Patriots aren't moving the ball at all on offense. And then you look later, and it's like, oh, yeah, they didn't. <laughs> they had 270 yards of offense, and that was enough to win by 18 because the Carolina Panthers just played absolute shit football. Um, the Sam Darnold finished with a 26.3 passer rating, the worst of the day by any quarterback. Uh, not named Dakota Prescott, who we will get to, I think, in a little bit. Dak Prescott might have actually been better, now that I think about it. Dak Prescott, yeah, Dak Prescott was way better than Sam Darnold. It was just that Dak Prescott got blanked for a good part of the game. Uh, is Tyrod Taylor worse? Maybe Tyrod Taylor finished worse. Nope, Tyrod Taylor was bad, but <laughs> he was still 42.8. So, congratulations, Sam Darnold. For the third time this season, you have the worst passer rating in the NFL Patriots made an emphasis to take away Christian McCaffrey and dare you to throw it. Uh, McCaffrey finished 14 for 52, but it felt like even less for Christian McCaffrey. He also had a, a few good catches in there, but boy, it was rough going for the Carolina Panthers. Sam Darnold, by the way, of those uh, 172 yards, his top two, his top three of his top four leading receivers were running backs. I know Christian McCaffrey's kind of a cheat on that one, but. Uh, of his 16 catches today, he had eight of them, or sorry, nine of the 16 completions were to running backs, that being Christian McCaffrey, Chuba Hubbard, and surprisingly to me, Amir Abdullah. Did not know he was a Carolina Panther. Not sure what happened to Royce Freeman, who I at one point picked up on my fantasy team, but Amir Abdullah is a Panther. Good for Amir Abdullah, just hanging around in the NFL still. Last I heard of him, I think he was on the Vikings practice squad. So good on Amir Abdullah. Um, yeah, Carolina, go to P.J. Walker. Season's a wash anyways. You're not making the playoffs. Just go to P.J. Walker. Get get Sam Darnold out of there. I know you, you invested two years in $25 million, but this is like the Jacoby Brissett situation all over again with the Colts. It's just because you invested the money there doesn't mean it's worth anything. Just go back and forth. See what you have in P.J. Walker. He beat the Lions last year. We know he's a backup quarterback, but at this point, that's kind of what Sam Darnold is. Should have drafted Justin Fields. Tried to tell you it back then, and I don't feel bad for you at all, Panthers fans, because I tried to tell you. You've done nothing of what we said when we rebuilt the Carolina Panthers, or like hiring Robert Sala, or trading Christian McCaffrey, we're trading Cam Newton early, so you could have still gotten some picks for him. But you didn't do any of that. And you're perpetually mediocre. You don't make me hate you the way that Bears and Giants and Broncos fans make me hate you. But you guys are close. Don't make me angry, Panthers fans, because we will start beef with you. Bench Sam Darnold. Even if it means we don't get to play the Sam Darnold Revenge Tour music anymore. It's over. Him and Jimmy G both. I'm like, eh, I've, I've seen enough Jimmy G now. I, I've seen enough Jimmy G where I'm like, that's enough for this. 
Um, I know what Jimmy G is at this point. Uh, he's, it feels like he's gotten less sexy now that I have acknowledged that quarterback purgatory has passed him. He didn't even have a bad game today. Like it wasn't that Jimmy G was bad. It's just that we know what Jimmy G is at this point. Uh, they had no chance to win against the Cardinals today who, as I said before, are a very good team. Are they better than the Rams? I don't know. I mean, the Rams are at the time of recording this losing to the Titans. So maybe, uh, Maybe that ends up being a weird... I think it was a pick six in there too, which is just kind of a fluky thing for them. Um, I think that the Cardinals are really, really good. And they did it without Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins today, which I felt was a possibility because I picked them on the slump buster this week, even knowing there was a chance Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins wouldn't play. So good on the Arizona Cardinals for that. But in terms of the Jimmy G thing, it's not where you have to bench him, like with Sam Darnold, where it's just like you need to do anything you can to get his ass off the field. With Jimmy G, it's like, what are you gaining at this point by not putting Trey Lance in? You might fight for the seven seed, but who cares if you make the seven seed this year? This is this is a time to figure out what you have with Trey Lance, who, by the way, is healthy now. I looked this up before because I'm like, oh, he might just be playing because uh, Trey Lance isn't healthy yet, and Trey Lance had to play that one game against the Cardinals. No, Trey Lance is healthy. He can come in at any point now. I don't, I mean, Jimmy G's playing fine too. Like Jimmy G had a hundred passer rating today, completed just over 60% of his passes, which is, you know, fine. Actually, Jimmy G completed 70% of his passes today, which is really good. And he had 320 yards. Uh, They could, again, they didn't run the ball at all because they were down the entire game. But even still, like, just, what are you gaining at this point by not putting Jerry Lance in? I would have done it before, like, the Packers game before. Trey Lance got hurt, so I get that. Jimmy G played great against the Bears last week. I just don't know what the 49ers are gaining from this point. It makes me bored every time we try and talk about them in, like, the sixth or seventh game down here. Because they don't play funny games. They don't have things we can laugh at on memes of the weekend. And they're not playing good team. I mean, they're not playing... They themselves are not a good team. Therefore, they're never going to, like, lead the broadcast on an NFL Monday. So they kind of live in this like 50 minute mark of the podcast where I just come in and kind of talk about why Jimmy G is still the quarterback, even though last week he bought himself some time by beating the Chicago Bears and having two rushing touchdowns. Last week we sang some praises to Jimmy G, but I, I said during the game, uh, I think it was when he threw the interception to Buda Baker uh, when it was like 31 17 uh, in the fourth quarter. I was like, all right, that's enough Jimmy G for the season. Uh, I know what Jimmy G is at this point. He is a fully formed quarterback. He is about quarterback 20 to 21 in the NFL. And with every year that new rookies cycle in, he will fade further and further towards becoming a fringe starter. So um, Jimmy G to the Panthers next season. (laughs) That was just kind of my pause for transition here. I've teased it enough here for the first time in seven weeks. Let's play the Miami Dolphins fight song.
I need to savor those beautiful sounds of T-Pain because I don't know when we're going to have that again. I don't know when we're going to get to hear the Miami Dolphins fight song again. I know they've got a couple Jets games coming up later in the season, but that team sucks. That's kind of a theme for a bunch of these teams this week. Like, I know the Eagles did pretty well against the Chargers, but them, Carolina, who we talked about earlier. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about the Giants later in that way, but they just kind of suck. And uh, the Dolphins and Texans are both in that camp. The Texans are tanking, so that's a different version of that. But those teams are just terrible. Like um, the Dolphins Texans game. Did that even happen? Like they, I feel like there was like one Mac Hollins touchdown on the red zone channel. But other than that, I, I, I don't even remember if the Dolphins Texans game was on Fox or CBS this week. Like that game was so forgettable and the Miami Dolphins ended up winning, I think like 17 to nine and Tyrod Taylor had three interceptions and a fumble and, the Dolphins had like two turnovers. It was, it was Tyrod Taylor and a one-win team against Jacoby Brissett and a one-win team. It, both those teams are terrible. They said it's the second time in the history of the NFL that you have two teams that are one and seven playing each other in this. Well, I guess this would be week nine, but it could technically be week eight. Um, no, I guess it would have to be week nine or week 10. It could be week nine or week 10 because of bye weeks, but second time ever two one and seven teams played each other. Both those teams are terrible. I don't want to talk about that game at all. Cause I kind of like didn't watch any of it except for like one Mac Hollins touchdown and exactly what I thought would happen and exactly what Vegas thought would happen. They had them as six point favorites. They won by eight. Both teams scored in the single digits. You had 26 total points in the game. Cause, uh, Houston Texans, as we talked about last time, they scored eight total points in a three and a half game stretch. They went zero five three zero. Then they had a bunch of garbage time points against the Rams to break my heart and cover that backdoor on the spread. And then they had nine this week against the Dolphins. So if you take out that backdoor cover, that's seventeen points in a five four and a half NFL football games from the Houston Texans. That team really sucks. Uh, we saved this for the Sunday night finisher. Wasn't really an interesting game. Uh, could we not pretend like we... Could we not do the thing where we call the Titans legit? And could we also not do the thing where we pretend like this loss means the Rams aren't really good at football? Like, Matthew Stafford had a bad game. It's okay. From what I can tell, and we were recording a lot of this stuff during the game, so I only got part of it. And this kind of becomes a theme on Sunday night football where... If the game's not good, I just kind of phase it out a little bit. It looks like the final score is 28-9. to nine. There's like two minutes left in the game at the time of recording. But Tannehill didn't really have a good game. Stafford didn't really have a good game. So the Rams kind of gave this one away more than the Titans won it. 18-wheeler uh, <laughs> Deonta Foreman is back in the NFL. It, he was a joke that we made earlier in the year because I'm like, oh, I remember him. He's one of those like nostalgia names, and I found out he's only like 25 years old because, of course, that's how these things work. Um, so, yeah, nostalgia tour for uh, our buddy Deonta Foreman ending up beating, being the leading rusher for the uh, Tennessee Titans. And, yeah, uh, that was a weird game that doesn't really teach us about either team, so we'll just walk away feeling kind of normal about it. No need to... No need to keep digging deeper on this one. This was just a weird 
situation where the Titans ended up winning without Derrick Henry and without any running game because uh, Matthew Stafford threw a pick six and Matthew Stafford threw a bad interception right after that led to a field goal and the Rams offense just looked kind of constipated. So that's all we can take away from this game. Nothing too intense or interesting about it. Uh, also, my fantasy football team needs like 15 yards from Tyler Higby at the time. Oh, eight. I need one catch for three yards. One catch for three yards, and I win my fantasy game this week. Come on, Higby. Give me something. Give me something. Two minutes left. Please, please let me win my fantasy game. I'm down 0.8 right now. I need one PPR catch plus three yards. And I didn't get it. Lose by 0.8 in fantasy. Yeah. I know no one else cares about your fantasy team, but the one time I won a fantasy football championship was because of 0.3 points from Gerald Everett. Won the championship by 0.3 one year. So sometimes you win them, sometimes you lose them. And it hurts more knowing that if I'd started Michael Pittman over Jalen Waddell, I would have won in my fantasy league this week. And uh, I wish I'd known that Tua wasn't playing against the Texans, but bygones be bygones you lose you're still six and three still got a strong team we lost Derrick Henry but got to pick me up this week I guess from AJ Dillon surprisingly so we lost James Robinson we lost uh our, our buddy Derrick Henry of course still Jamar Chase Justin Jefferson Mike Williams we're holding out hope here yeah we're definitely doing fantasy football here so ladies and gentlemen thank you for stopping in here to the take it easy podcast on this lovely lovely NFL Monday. Uh, We've got Memes of the Weekend that is dropping. It's right above this episode. Maybe you've already listened to Memes of the Weekend. Check out Wired Up. We've got hours and hours of content for you if you are looking to pass the time here on a lovely Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or however and whenever it is that you may be stopping in. So with that being said, take it easy, everybody. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Or today, if you want to listen to Memes of the Weekend as well, or Wired Up, or whatever else we have in our archives. We don't know when we'll get to play it again, so T-Pain and your wonderful Miami Dolphins fight song, send us off into our lovely rest of our days. Take it easy, everybody.